0: the Spot Track podcast talking sports contracts the salary cap and business of sports today's edition of the Spot Track podcast is presented by the athletic and we are powered by the athletic today we are just browsing athletic sections sports across the board and pulling out financial pieces from the athletic.com because it's sort of a mishmash it's the dog days of summer here Right, we've got a Major League Baseball draft. The NFL is sort of in limbo right now for a couple of weeks while we prepare for training camp. We have an NBA Finals, which is weird. Um, you know, Wimbledon just finished in terms of tennis. Golf has their proams as they gear up for their final uh, big time major. It, it's a it's a bounce around type of year sports wise. So that's exactly what we're doing on the athletic right now because they have everything. Okay, they have all the sports you need. It is full coverage live commentary, podcast, the works. It is your one stop hub for sports, long form, short form news, and audio as well. Theathletic.com slash spot track gets you 40% off your first year subscription today. Happy Monday morning. My name is Mike Giannetti. Like I said, we're going to bounce around. It's a weird time for a major league baseball draft. It's here. I've got some information on the number one overall pick, how the signing bonuses work and some of the draft pools across the leagues. Interesting ones, by the way. Um, I've got tennis. Got to talk Djokovic. It's time. Whether you love him or hate him, the numbers I have for Djokovic are worth discussing out loud. So we're going to do just that. Then we're going to switch gears to... I know this is like like podcast 101. Don't talk tennis. Don't talk hockey. I'm going to talk hockey because the back-to-back Stanley Cup champs have a big-time financial... It's not drama. It's not a case. It's not an investigation, although that stuff did happen. But the Tampa Bay Lightning basically used this system properly. It's a little Patriots-esque as to how they got this thing done the past couple of seasons. And it's sort of hitting the mainstream now. It is certainly a big, big point of contention on The Athletic. You can read it there. Uh, but I'm going to break down the long-term injured reserve situation that the Tampa Bay Lightning were able to utilize and strike lightning in a bottle, no pun intended. So that's at the back end of the show, a little bit of a lightning breakdown. And then at the very back of the show... Before we get out of here, I'll run through some notable candidates that could be falling off of NFL rosters. So whether that's a cut, a cap casualty, um, a trade, you know, we see injuries in training camp every single year, preseason as well. Who's sitting out there waiting for somebody to be injured that could become a, a replacement via trade? I got a couple of names at the quarterback position, at the edge rusher position and the running back position as well. So that's the back end of the show. So a little bit of baseball draft, a little bit of tennis. Um, an interesting hockey story, I promise. And then a little bit of football at the back end. All right, let's start quickly with our rare tennis segment. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Wimbledon, always a big deal. Obviously many of the stars not playing or out early, but the, uh, preeminent favorite finished it off in Novak Djokovic, his 20th Grand Slam title, his fifth Wimbledon title, it's about money, though, with Novak Djokovic because of his later success, because he sort of started four or five, six years after the Nadal Federer era and has now caught them in terms of Grand Slams, the money's been better because obviously with these Grand Slams and some of these more ancillary tournaments, he's been dominant. And these prize pools, these payouts have increased kind of exponentially. Now they've come down a little bit in the past couple of years, obviously with the pandemic. So this year's payout is out in, in Wimbledon and was slightly less than two years ago, but there will be a bounce back all things considered. Let's talk career earnings on the ATP tour. Novak jumps to just under $152 million. That is $22 million more than Federer. It's about 28 million more than Nadal and those three, 152, 130, 125 are so far ahead of everybody else, all time, all time. Andy Murray is fourth, to put this in context. And he's struggling just to kind of stay on the court at this point of his career. 62 million flat for Andy Murray. So third and fourth is half. It's half between what Nadal and Murray have. So there's no question, I mean, it's clear as day with the plain eyes that these three have sort of led the way in terms of major championships, grand slams, and volume of winning over the past, really, two decades. But like I said, because of the later starts and because of a few more quantity wins, Novak is $20 million in change ahead of the rest of the world, all time. That's just where he lives. So he's not the most likable character. I don't think there's a gigantic rooting interest in Novak Djokovic, but the wins are here now. There's no looking away from this guy anymore. This is one of the preeminent tennis players of our generation of all time. And financially speaking, he's the GOAT. And it's not even close right now. And he's not showing signs of slowing down, where Federer and Nadal certainly are. So where this number can get to could be scary, scary stuff. On the women's side, Ash Barty gets her second Grand Slam, her first Wimbledon. And it's a big deal. Look, this is a $2.4 million payout in terms of dollars um it's it's obviously translates differently in terms of pounds or uh australian money in her case but in terms of dollars it's 2.4 million that's a big time you know life-changing event obviously for these these people ash Barty jumps into the top 20 she's 18th now all time in terms of women's wta tour money it's you know it's the worst trivia question in the world who number one is (laughs) and speaking of doubling up that's what Serena has done to her sister. They are one, two. Serena is 94.5. Venus is now 42.2. So, you know, Serena is more than double away from the second overall. The top five are Serena, Venus, Maria Sharapova, Simona Halep, Caroline Wozniacki, and Petr, Kvitova. And the difference is 94.5 to 33. So... Unbelievable drop-off. Ash Barty gets herself into the 20s with this victory. She's at 21.1, like I said, 18th now all time. So obviously three through, I mean, really 35 are kind of tight in terms of how these things can operate. So one Grand Slam victory, especially a Wimbledon, can really push you forward, financially speaking, and certainly on this rankings as well. So the, you know, the women are a lot tighter because there was only really Serena... And everybody else for the past two decades, whereas three guys in terms of the ATP tour really dominated this thing. So it's uh, it's interesting how this sport has sort of evolved into almost like an NBA feel, right? Where there's superstars, there's a couple of decent players, and then there's depth and role players who sort of you know rear their heads every now and then. And from a U.S. standpoint, it's yikes on the men's side. Really yikes. I mean... You know, Andy Roddick is somewhere on this list and he's still, you know, it's going to be Sampras for a while. Sampras is $43 million, which is $110 million less than Djokovic, by the way. But Sampras is going to be the top American tennis winner in terms of the men's side for quite some time. I mean, Roddick made half that, which shows you how many grand slams he was winning. That's just, that's just how things have gone. You know, John Isner is 25th on this list. Just that's volume. That's not major wins that those are your three U S men's tennis players right there in terms of earnings Agassi's 31 overall. It's a, uh, it's been two decades really, you know, Roddick had a good run, a decent run. He was fun to watch from an animated standpoint, but it's been really two decades since an American has contended on a, on a regular basis in these grand slam tournaments. Now, if you're just a fan of tennis, I'm not sure that matters to you because, you know, the the Nadal Federer situation has been so damn good. And so damn, we've been so lucky to be inside of it. You know, it's, it's somewhat of a tiger situation in golf, you know, a, a Michael Jordan situation in basketball. If you were able to be through that, it's uh, it's just a different kind of thing. And they play with a certain sort of grace and a certain sort of sportsmanship that is, it's so marketable. It's, you know, it's incredible from a youth standpoint. You know, Novak's a little bit different animal, and that's what I meant by I don't think he has the following. I'm positive he doesn't have the following worldwide, but to kind of wrap it up here, there's there's just no looking away anymore. 20 is an, a huge number in terms of grand slams, and he's now over the 150 mark in terms of on-court earnings. So it's uh, it's his to lose at this point in terms of where it goes from here because he's got plenty of tennis left in him. Okay, switching gears to the Major League Baseball draft. If you didn't know, it happened last night in terms of the first round and the competitive balances in between. Henry Davis, a catcher out of Louisville, goes number one overall. And it's sort of a, it's a little bit of a trend. I mean, we've had a couple of them in the last five years. We've had, you know, top five picks be catchers pretty much, I don't know, not every year, but it's, it's certainly a trend over the past decade or so. And I just want to have a quick conversation about that because I think it's really interesting where this game is going and how that position specifically could alter, could change, could possibly be diminished. You know, the, the part of me wants to go down the robo-ump conversation and, and, and try to understand how that's going to devalue the catcher position. I'm not sure it's going to get there. Um, you know, there's still a lot of management that has to happen from behind the plate. Certainly the pitch calling and all that, you know, for the most part, is it predetermined? Is it coming from the bench? You know, a lot of those things have changed over the years. I think the, I think the catching position has already been devalued to some degree. So it's interesting to see a player of this caliber here. And for the most part, he's here because it was bad. This is the all intents and purposes. This is the best hitter in terms of what the draft had to offer. Um, but the catching position is interesting. We had Adley Rushman not too long ago you know, he's going to make an appearance with Baltimore at some point, although it's not going well. And that's sort of the story with these catchers. And I, and I wonder why that is. I wonder why the translation from high draft pick to minors, to majors isn't as smooth maybe as some of these other positions. Is it an athleticism thing? Is it that the game is drastically different on one level? You know, I mean everybody's throwing 99 everywhere now so it can't be a speed thing but certainly as more pitches evolve does the does the catching position become harder more complicated you know are they not ready to manage a game I just wonder what that is why that translation doesn't necessarily happen smoothly quickly and uh you know why it's why we see seven shortstops taken in the top 20 every single year it's just you can put those guys anywhere they can be center fielders they can be third baseman at times certainly second baseman Um, some of them actually convert to pitching because they've got cannon arms and just need some, some help on accuracy. So the catcher position is so specific. And I know a lot of these guys end up playing first base or DHing, but if you just think about the league as a whole right now, both how the game is being played and both that position specifically, if you think about the players, yes, you're having a kind of a Renaissance year from Buster Posey, but, you know, Yadi Molina kind of holding on. He's in, he's in the later stages. Sal Perez is having a nice year. He's an all-star. But it, it's a really weak position. I mean, ask the Yankees, you know. Ask the Mets for two decades. They finally they got at least a, uh, an adequate option in James McCann, but they had to heavily overpay for that. So, you know, maybe that's the reasoning for why we're seeing so many of these guys going top five, top ten-ish is... If we can get one under control, that's at least adequate, and they can, and can hit the ball, especially at a young age. I don't have to go overpaying free agency for one of the maybe the one or two guys who are possibly available and can maybe handle this thing. Otherwise, we're patching this thing together like a bullpen or like a running back committee, and that's probably not ideal for both a GM but also for you know a manager. Somebody sitting on the bench trying to manage this thing day in and day out. I know. Oh, by the way, these guys have to have good, great, not good relationships with the pitchers. So if there's an issue, I've seen it with the Mets a bunch of times watching them closely. Syndergaard had himself his own exclusive catcher. I know DeGrom prefers one over the other. That's sort of something I think the similar with Kershaw and Scherzer as well. You know, when you get to a certain point, you don't want to be bouncing around with catcher by committee. So, you know, is it the, is it the situation where... If you've got a McCaffrey, if you've got a Saquon Barkley, you can think a little bit less about adding a third and a fourth running back and you can focus your, your efforts elsewhere. And it makes life a little bit easier for game planning, things like that, in terms of how you structure your offense. I wonder if that's sort of the mindset behind taking a catcher here and trying to hit lightning in the bottle on a position that is so hard to fill on an annual basis. I mean, it's a, it's a revolving door for a lot of teams. One-year deals, free agents, pick guys up off of waivers the backup is playing better than the starter it, it there's just a lot of minutia that goes with this position i think and you know it's not nec- it's not generally a great hitting position because of the the wear and tear just fatigue over the marathon season there's a lot of things against this position certainly too so i'm not knocking anything about it it is it is not for everybody certainly wasn't for me i sat out in center field with my cushy glove and uh, played with the flowers and watched watched things from afar but this was uh, an interesting pickup for Pittsburgh, who needs everything. Let's be honest. Pittsburgh needs everything. I've, I had a snarky little tweet that the max slot for this signing bonus at number one overall is eight and change, I think 8.4, which is 15% of the Pirates' entire payroll right now. <laughs> so, you know, it's not a good time to be in the Pirates' organization, but if you're young and can play, then that's exactly what you, where you want to be. You want to be coming in with the ground running, Showing your stuff at, at, at AA, AAA. I'm not even sure if A is going to exist next year, but that's for our, another conversation. You know, there's a quick path to the majors here. Okay, Brian Hayes, it seems like he's working out. There's some talent. I'm, I'm literally just watching this Pittsburgh team against my Mets. There's, there's some talent, there's some really good hitters. And, and oh, by the way, there were 18 days from the trade deadline, and three or four of those players could be on the move, no doubt about it. But if not, if they think they've got a decent core in terms of prospects, you know, we could have a situation where, you know, the Orioles have gotten better. Certainly the Blue Jays did this, sort of built up, you know, broke it down and and made some international signings and certainly some high draft picks and are trying to hit that Houston Aeros Astros sweet spot where all these guys with a couple of veterans sprinkled in can can get to the finish line. I could see that be that happening here, and I and I think that's why you do go shortstop or catcher over shortstop. Because quite frankly, if you've got the catcher, what what are we seeing right now in free agency? Seven top flight all-star shortstops that could be available. Trey Turner, Corey Seager, Carlos Correo, the li- hobby bias, the list goes on. So it's possible that there's just a surplus of those players out there and that it might be easier to plug and play a middle infielder right now because of how many are sitting around or maybe how many are sitting in AAA right now and could be plucked off an organization for a couple of other prospects versus there's a real diminished pool of good catchers out there who can actually hit the ball as well. So I understand this pick from Pittsburgh. I just think it's interesting where this whole situation may be going over the next decade, but it's uh it's something to monitor for sure. You know, we, we we didn't want to believe that the running back position was going to be taking the road. It was because it was so important and it still is important. I don't think it's less important than it was 15 years ago. It's just, there's a hard cap. Things have to change. And, and look, I know this isn't a salary cap league in Major League Baseball, but boy, 31 out of 30 or 29 out of 30 teams are are treating it as such. Okay? There's only one team really blowing past the luxury tax right now, and that's the Los Angeles Dodgers. Everybody else has been either specifically told or is consciously making an effort to stay under that threshold and not be a taxpayer because for one reason or another, this is not a free spending sport anymore. This is a Let's get young. Let's get cheap. Let's try to win with money ball options. Let's, let's use our analytics and our shifts to try to reduce run production. And if we end up winning two to one every day, that's, that's just fine with us versus the days where, you know, we actually tried to produce runs and we had some eight run days and things like that. It's a, it's a different game. And that's my point because I think positionally speaking, things are going to change as well. So we'll taking a catcher. Number one, overall come to come back to haunt Pittsburgh in a couple of years. Probably not. I don't think it's going to change to the point of where, you know, a player like that can't be moved around the infield. If he has to third base, first base, like I said, you know, and, and Oh, by the way, DH may be coming to the national league as well. So that's another reason to take the best hitter in baseball, regardless of his position. So we're, we're tracking all these draft picks. Uh, like I said, first run plus is up spot slash MLB slash draft. We've got four or five years of, uh, be draft info and signing bonuses. What we do is we show the slot bonus, which is the max bonus for that draft pick or the slotted bonus. You know, Teams can go over, teams can go under. You're negotiating with each player specifically. And you have a pool. So we're also showing all the available pools for each team's draft picks and uh, what they have left, what they can burn, what they have used once players start to sign. Players have until August 1st, I believe, August 1st, 5 p.m. Eastern to sign these draft picks. Um, And the team that should have no problem is the Houston Astros because they had to forfeit their first and second round picks for the sign stealing scandal. So it's a, it's a big range. I believe Pittsburgh has the most in terms of draft pool at just over 14 and the Astros are down just under 3 million. So it's a variety and it's a negotiation game. You know, if you're four year seniors coming out of college, you're not getting slot. You're getting under slot most likely if you're a, High school kid who they're trying to keep in the organization, you might get a little bit more. You might just to get uh, get you away from college and, and get you in the organization to try to get you the majors as quickly as possible. Especially all things considered, with uh, with how many of these organizations are trying to go crazy young. They don't care if you're 19. They don't care if you're 20. If you can hit the ball with launch angle and you can play adequate defense, they'll give you a jersey in this league. <laughs> okay, so we're tracking these things on uh, on Spot Track. I'll have more conversations about some of these team breakdowns when more picks happen. All right. And for our feature story today, the Tampa Bay lightning went back to back kind of unprecedentedly in the Stanley cup playoffs this year. It's a loaded roster. It's a fun roster. They're a good watch. They have been a good watch for a bunch of years now. And the fact that they're here, it really shouldn't be surprising, but there is a little bit of drama and it's drama right in our wheelhouse. So I realize that talking tennis and hockey in the same podcast is probably like the biggest no-no in the world, but I'm going to do it because there's financial relevance here. So you may have heard that Nikita Kucherov, the, I guess, probably the face of this franchise now. I know the Stam Coast has been there for quite a while, but this is the uh, preeminent player right now. He shows up on Instagram. I mean, he's the press conference hero. He's the Instagram hero now. He shows up with a shirt that says 18 million over the cap Stanley Cup, right? That's just... Uh, that's a shot at the Carolina Hurricanes who basically complained about the fact that this is a team that was more than they said they were in the, in the lightning. And here's, here's the explanation for it. For those of you who don't follow the NHL salary cap, and I understand there is what's called long-term injured reserve. There's, there's normal injured reserve. Then there's long-term injured reserve. What's the difference? It's, it's sort of similar to how major league baseball has a 10 day injured list re- and a 60-man injured list so the difference there in baseball is if you're on a 10-day you are still part of the 40-man tax payroll okay you're just on a little break while you get healthy and then you'll be back all of your financials still account towards the tax payroll the luxury tax payroll if you are if you are moved to the 60-day injured list obviously you're still getting paid but your tax, your tax salary, your average salary, now comes off of the books for that team's luxury tax. That's the difference. You're off the 40-man roster when you're transferred to the 60-day IL. It's a similar situation in hockey. Whereas plain old inter-reserve, your cap hits, they're going to account towards the, the hard cap, 81.5 this year, and teams have to deal with it and you know, make counter moves elsewhere to make it all fit. If you are designated long-term injured reserve, obviously that means you are going to miss a significant amount of time. But if you have the financial capability to do so, meaning you have cap space, you can use what's called long-term injured reserve relief, which allows you to go over. It allows you to take go past that 81.5 with a long-term injured reserve designation, get some relief. You're still paying cash. right, There's no there's no cap relief. There's no cap in the cash relief. You are simply just allowed to go over that mark a certain degree. And there's a lot of bullet points as to how it's possible and when it happens and all that good stuff. But you know, quick example would be if a team has a hundred thousand dollars of cap space right now and a $4 million player gets injured significantly tears in ACL, te- you know, ruptures in Achilles, something like that. You designate that player as LTIR and you now get 3.9 million of long term injured reserve relief which allows you to place that player on the LTIR and go up to that you know 4 million minus the current cap space which is 100 grand is the 3.9 million which means you can now use that 3.9 million as if it was available to you right so player goes on LTIR you now get his cap space minus the cap space you had to use elsewhere. So the T- Tampa Bay Lightning, in, in a nutshell, did this in multiple instances. And the Maple Leafs did this to start the year, by the way. The Maple Leafs couldn't even afford their roster <laughs> when, when this season started. They had signed players, their own mostly their own internally, but a couple of free agents as well, that they just couldn't afford under the 81.5. So we knew there were long-term injuries coming. They were going to abuse this policy. It's there. It's not illegal it is simply just it's a county, right it's it's good gm work if you have the roster to get it done which the maple leaves did the lightning certainly did so injuries happen sometimes injuries happen over the preseason and in those cases you can budget these kind of things hey we know that player is going to be on the shelf for two three months you know no reason to do anything about it but we can utilize that ltir if we play our hands right so it means Let's get ourselves as close to the eighty-one point five as possible, so that we can maximize how much LTIR we get. Four million dollar player, no cap space available. You get to use all four million to go and acquire a player, sign a player, whatever you have to do. So you can understand how this works over an eighty-two game season, you know, with all the ups and downs and the hills and the valleys. So, long story short, here with the Lightning, Kucherov is LTIR'd months ago. Um, basically missing most of the regular season. He's the ace in the hole. His injury just happened so that he was healing up during this postseason run, and finances don't matter now. As long as you're on the roster and eligible for the postseason, you can come off that injured list and play, which he did, which he did. But they were able to carry his salary on this reserve list and Backload his high cap hit you, to fill in other players, good quality players who obviously wanted to play in this team because they're Stanley Cup contenders. So it's the rich getting richer, is really what this is. It's good accounting, it's available, it's not a loophole. This has been here for years, but it is something that the bigger teams have started to do. The teams that are, have really tried to keep their own players that's Tampa, that's Toronto. Chicago has done this endless times. I've seen Pittsburgh do this before. Every team has done this to some degree, but these teams are doing it to a point of where they're, they're adding competitive advantage. right? Well, we can get two more guys if we LTIR this guy. And those two guys can actually help us more in our December, January months when we need more defense, whatever it is, scheme, budgeting, all of that. It's available to them. If you play your cards right, it can really work well. That's exactly what we saw here with Tampa Bay is an accounting situation and a medical situation that were perfectly aligned with the, with the schedule. So Kucherov could come back, be pulled off this list, and, and, and join this pool of players <laughs> that, that were able to be built up over the past two, three seasons to really just have a dominating effect in, these, in this postseason run. And they are back-to-back champs partially because of it. Still got to go play the games, but look, they certainly had a roster advantage because of this little thing. Every team has it available. It all aligned perfectly for them, and you know Kucherov gets to hoist the cup again. So, I understand the complaints. I understand teams asking the league to look into this. There was an investigation not too long, about a month ago, as to to make sure that everything they did was by the board, by the books. It was. It's like I said. It's part of the CBA. It is written into how this game works. It has been for years. And uh, they played their cards right is really the way to look at this. So congrats to them. The city of Tampa Bay is absolutely slain right now in terms of sports. And, you know, the name image like stuff in Florida is probably making college sports down there much, much more attractive. So your Buccaneers, your Tampa Bay Rays, certainly your Tampa Bay Lightning are uh, are giving those fans a hell of a lot to cheer about. There's no question about it. But a little interesting side note with the financial side of it in hockey. Today's episode is also brought to you by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, dedicated to serving the unique wealth management needs of athletes and top professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment strives to bring sports professionals the financial solutions they need, including access to financing to support prospective NFL and NBA athletes through the draft process. Find out more about Morgan Stanley's pre- and post-draft loan program at morganstanley.com slash GSE. That's morganstanley.com slash GSE. S-E. Switching gears to football. Got to pay the bills here. It is about two weeks out of training camp. It's a scary time for teams as players are kind of on their own. And it's unfortunate, but every time this year we see some things go wrong, either whether it's legal trouble, whether it's injuries, something happens away from the organizations with these breaks. So it's, like I said, it's kind of like a on eggshells time for some of these teams as players go out there and vacay with family and kind of get their last run in this summer before it all starts up in two weeks. I want to talk real quick about who could be on a bubble. Some are obvious. Um, McKeel Harry, you know, one way or another, he's probably off this Patriots roster. That's obvious. Zach Ertz seems obvious. It's been obvious for a year and a half. That's going to come to head here. You know, there's going to be running backs all over this list. Mark Ingram, Matt Breida, Benny, Sp- all over this list. You know, Royce Freeman, Denver. I just think there's probably a half dozen um, running backs, notable running backs across the league that are probably going to be looking for work come week one. And that's unfortunate. What about quarterbacks? Will there be a quarterback, a notable quarterback kind of moved, at least? whether release, whether it's a trade. I think Nick Foles is the most interesting one here. Um, he's basically fully guaranteed with a, with a bonus that's been paid and a salary that's locked in. It was just part of the restructure that they brought over from Jacksonville when they acquired him in Chicago. Andy Dalton's there. Justin Fields is there. There's just not a Nick Foles job right now at all, unless you're going to redshirt Justin Fields, which I just can't imagine that's the case. You're going to give him every opportunity here. So... I don't know if that there's a home for Nick Foles necessarily speaking. So I'm not sure he's tradable and I don't believe he's releasable. It makes no sense to release him, but I think this is one of those things to watch for in training camp and in preseason with injuries. We see it every year. Somebody goes down. If somebody loses their backup or God willing, their starter in the next month or so, that's probably the name to watch. There's a, there's a couple it's Foles. It's Trevor Simeon. It's Gardner Minshew. Maybe somebody off of Tampa. Tampa Bay has Kyle Trask, Blaine Gabbert, Ryan Griffin, and certainly Brady. So there's a bit of a surplus there. Um, something to keep an eye on for sure. The uh, uh, that's pretty much it with quarterbacks, in my opinion. I don't think you know. Breaking news: Aaron Rodgers isn't getting traded, guys. Okay, I'm off that train. I was never really on that train. I I, I think he's more likely to retire than anything. Um, based on what we've seen, but I, I have a gut gut feeling. He's going to play some football with Green Bay this year. Wide receivers. I I don't know if there's much more movement here. I, I really don't. I You know, a couple of extension candidates in the next couple of days with those franchise tags. I I think teams want as much as possible here in terms of wide receiver depth. Now, we'll certainly see some movement in that regard, but with special teams now being a value, I just think these guys are going to be seven, eight, nine deep on on many rosters. So, Notable players, Odell Beckham's not going anywhere, you know, things like that. It's, it, there's just not going to be movement right now. Julio was certainly the biggest ship to fall, and, and that happened as expected. Um, something to watch defensively here. Now that this Barcavius-Mingo situation has happened and the Falcons have lost another defensive player, my God, that organization. You know, is there a surplus? Is there a player who's maybe be, maybe lingering on a bubble right now? in terms of an edge rusher or maybe even just the linebacker in, in in general, I've got two for you that could either fit in Atlanta or fit somewhere else late in the game here. Um, Jordan Hicks, no, no doubt about it in Arizona. He's a release candidate. They've, they've been trying to trade him every day for about a year and a half. Uh, they drafted his replacement basically two years in a row. Um, so there's just not a spot for him financially speaking. That could work. He's more of an inside presence, but he's a horizontal guy. And that that could work for a lot of teams, I would think, especially if he's outright released and you bring him in on basically a minimum. That's certainly a name out there. And here's, here, here's sort of a hot take that I love this player and, and I'm local to this player. So it's, you know, it's not a situation I think I want to see happen. I think this is a team that should be as deep as possible, especially at the edge position. But I wonder if Jerry Hughes... Is on a bubble here heading towards training camp i wonder if some of these kids can't outplay him right now at his age at his stages and at his financials by the way which is really the biggest deal and i wonder if some of these kids either drafted this year or last year can't come in and make a big big enough impact to where a guy like jerry hughes could be trade bait to a team like atlantic who could certainly use it right now uh, so that's a name to keep watching on the edge rush situation there's a lot of One year minimum offensive linemen, I think, that are probably going to fall by the wayside here. And teams always love to pick those up week three, week four when things go wrong. Um, I just don't think we're going to have an impact training camp like sometimes we do. Um, Teams are slow playing this year a little bit to, to, to some degree. There's been a lot of quarterback movement, which means a lot of money has been moved around already. That's a big part of this. So if you're, you know, certainly the Patriots and their offseason, like none other, it's, it hasn't been normal, is my point. Okay, It hasn't been normal in a lot of respects. The biggest news could be, is Aaron Rodgers going to show up? Is he going to get a new contract? Unfortunately, that may carry the day. And uh, certainly seeing Trevor Lawrence in camp, Justin Fields and what he can do. Will the Chargers and Justin Herbert take a step forward? That's a loaded offense. We may see some some casualties there in terms of the running back position, possibly even the, the wide receiver position. And like I said, that's a landing spot for Zach Ertz, tight end-wise. So the Chargers are always fun to watch. Unfortunately, it, it's usually because there's players getting injured left and right, and their hopes and dreams are dashed by September. If that's not the case, that's an offense that could really be ticking. Same with Denver, if they can figure out the quarterback position this year. There's a couple of running backs You know, they're they're four running backs deep on that roster right now. And really, they're five wide receivers deep. So if you're looking for surplus overflow, offensive weapon talent, Denver certainly got it to give if they're willing to part ways with maybe one or two of those pieces. But other than that, you know, the Houston Texans are going to be fascinating, not just because of Deshaun Watson, but because they signed 43 free agents to one year deals. So to be able to bring it down to a fifty-three man roster, there's going to be carnage. <laughs> okay, I mean that's just how it worked. The math is simple on that one. So a lot of you know guys you've heard of are going to be tossed to the streets in Houston simply because it's basically a uh, a popularity contest there now. It's who's going to stick out in training camp, and that's it. You're done. Other than that. You know, cap space is pretty much intact. Like I said, we've talked last week about some extensions that could happen. There's more to come once these rosters are more finalized and we're cutting down from 90 to 53. But you know, the cap space is pretty prevalent in this league right now. The league average is in pretty good shape. Let's be honest here, folks. I mean, folks, it's about $9 million right now on a league average, maybe even closer to 10. After I do some quick calculations in my head here. Yeah, it's about nine and a half million dollars. That's pretty darn good for July 12th. You know, the Jets lead the way right now at 35 and change, but uh a lot could go right here. And by the way, that Jets number does not include Zach Wilson yet. So you're talking just under 30 with, with the Jets once that's figured out. But it's uh it's been a pretty healthy offseason. Like I said, a lot of quarterback movement kind of slowed developments elsewhere. We did have some nice trades. There's a couple more of those that comes the no question about it, but uh, football is just fine. Let's end that way. <laughs> All right. Everything's going to push forward. The TV money's on the way. The quarterback contracts are not slowing down. That's probably the next chip to fall in terms of the NFL. It's July 12th right now. I would expect this week we're going to see a contract extension for Josh Allen, if I had to guess. So If you are a uh, rooting fan of the Buffalo Bills or you have interest in this kind of stuff, which if you're listening to this, you probably do, we will be certainly doing a show surrounding that contract once we have the nuts and bolts of it and compare it to Deshaun Watson and Dak Prescott and Patrick Mahomes, of course. But I would guess that's the next chip to fall over the next couple of days is Josh Allen's big time extension. So a little bit of foreshadowing of what may come. Other than that, like I said, it's a bit of a lull period for the NFL. We'll be tracking roster moves as they trickle in, but... It's about getting ready for training camp and some of these moves that could be happening during and after that process. All right. My well, thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack for 40% off your first year subscription. And of course, the Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. Visit slash GSE to learn about the pre and post draft financial loan programs today. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Cianetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.